In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. A lifetime ago, at least it seems that way to me now, when I was not a priest but a swim coach, um, which is a part of my life that I loved every minute of, one of the best parts of my job was the many different kids that I got to work with, to see them struggle and then succeed, to help them come into their own. In many ways, these kids taught me more about Jesus than any other people in my life ever would. And there was one kid, a little boy, that I worked with who had some special needs. And because of them, he was often very legitimately frustrated because he would be trying really super hard to do something that everyone else seemed to do fairly easily. And it often didn't quite work out for him that way. And so his frustration level would rise and rise. And by the end of the week, we sometimes as a staff had a very frustrated, teary, upset little boy on our hands. And often when that happened, he and I would take a walk. He'd get out of the pool and we would go down to the chairs far below the pool, far away, so no one could hear us. They could see us, but not hear us. And, and sort of sit there at the back of the lawn on the way to the tennis courts. And while the other kids finished their sets, he and I would talk and breathe and calm down. And he would tell me lots of things about himself and about his life. And often, really about how hard it was to be him. Even though he was just a little boy, he, he had his own ways of articulating how unfair it was that there were these obstacles that were not his fault in any way, shape, or form. And after several stories and about you know, 20, 25 minutes of, of talking, he would stop crying and he would stop that sort of heaving chest that kids have when they're, you know they're crying, but they're trying not to, and they're trying really hard to be tough and sort of rein it in. And slowly I would watch him relax. I'd watch his, his whole mind, his spirit, his whole body sort of relax. And then every time at the end of the conversation, he would look at me and he would say, do you have anything to eat? And I have to admit the first few times it took me by surprise, but I learned my lesson fairly quickly and started, throwing something extra into my bag at Wawa in the morning when I went to pick up my coffee. I learned over time what he liked to eat, what would get a good response instead of a sort of mediocre response. And I came to love this little ritual and I learned a lot from it. Here was this kid completely unaware that he was teaching me something special about being human, about Jesus, about being faithful. He was overwrought and upset in large part because so many things were out of his control. And once he had a chance to talk about it, to be comforted and supported, what he really wanted to do was eat something. It's a simple human urge, right? That affirms life, that sustains our life, that, that we can't live without. And that in some instances connects us to each other, that holds so much more meaning than we often realize. And in this case, for this little boy and for our little ritual, it was a sign that the storm had passed, that he was ready to move on, that in a few minutes we could re-enter life and sort of go back up to the deck, maybe even have him get back in the water. And maybe there were some things that I realized in the midst of that conversation I could fix for him and make easier for him and sort of make the sets and the work a little bit more suited to him. And all of this, all of this information, all of this sort of wrap up was found in that simple last phrase. Do you have anything to eat? 
Now this morning when Jesus asks this question in the gospel, it is obviously a different situation. But the meaning in many ways, in large part, is the same. Now, the scholarly view of this moment, and it is important, this whole first paragraph of the gospel, if you look at that with sort of scholarly theologian eyes, you'll find that there are several times in the gospel where we see Jesus after the resurrection, where he eats with the disciples and where he encourages them to touch him. And that's important because they needed to prove to the ancients that Jesus wasn't a ghost. There were many who heard the story at the time of the resurrection who thought that he must have been a ghost and that the story couldn't really be true because Jesus the ghost just came back to appear, which would have been a a normal thing in the minds of ancient people. What they couldn't wrap their heads around was resurrection. So the ghost story was actually quite a lot easier to sort of put their heads on and understand. And it was very important to the disciples and to the writers of the gospel and eventually to Paul and to the rest of the apostles that no one was confused about the fact that Jesus was not a ghost after the resurrection. His body had changed, but his body was very real. Ghosts can't be touched. They don't have corporeal bodies and they definitely don't eat and digest food. So that's the scholarly sort of theologian view of this moment. Luke is proving to us that Jesus is real because all the disciples saw him eat. Not only did they touch him, they they watched him eat. And that's an important theological point, and it should cause us to wonder about his body and how human he may or may not have been after the resurrection, about his presence and about what about his body changed. And of course, that should lead us into more questions about our own resurrection and our own new lives and what happens to our bodies after we die. So there's, there's a whole rich theological ground here, but it's not what I'm interested in this morning. <laughs> that is material for another sermon or for the coming gospel group on a Sunday like this to wrestle with and debate after the service, because there are always more questions in the text than I can answer in one sermon than I can tackle. Otherwise, we would be here literally all day. Um, The the gospel is filled with questions, and and I I can't take them all on at once. So interesting though that is, we're going to put it aside. (laughs) What I'm really interested in this morning is related, but it's very different. And it's centered on this question of, have you anything to eat? Now, Jesus is certainly different than my young little swimmer guy. But also in some ways, he's not as different, right? He comes into the world to be human with us, to love us, to live with us, to experience what it means to be a person in this world so that God would know intimately how it feels to live, to know our pains and our successes. God loved us so much that God wanted to know what it was to be human, to experience this fragile, triumphant, achingly terrible, and also brilliantly beautiful life that we have that is short and rare. So Jesus comes, God incarnate, to experience that life with us. And it's fair to say that even though he came with a mission to save us, he experiences a wide range of frustrations, of obstacles, of hurts, physical pain, emotional pain, betrayal, abandonment, the sting of unrequited love, the death of of a dear friend. And the cross, of course, is the greatest challenge. And none of these things are of Jesus's own making, but instead are created by the world that we live in, by the system that we live in, by the government and the times that Jesus found himself in, a system that is flawed and broken and cruel. And even though there are good people and good things in the world, 
good ideas, good projects, good direction, sometimes good changes. Jesus experiences obstacles and burdens that he didn't create for himself. So when we see him this morning appearing and wishing the disciples peace, despite their fear, Jesus is showing us that he has conquered all of those things. The storm is over. His story has already been told. And Jesus is ready to do what we do best as Christians, to eat together and to imagine what comes next, to re-enter life together, to go back into the work and the mission ahead of them. And his eating is a sign that they are all entering into something new together. Meals with Jesus are always a sign of abundant life, but they are also always a sign of abundant responsibility. Generations later, his current disciples living on this earth and trying to carry out his work are still experiencing storms and struggles. And those storms come in many shapes. Our frustrations at this point are many and some of them are out of our control and not of our making, like this pandemic, for example, that we all hope we are nearing the end of. Aren't we all, like my little guy, trying to get past something that we can't control and didn't create? Perhaps for you, that's ringing other bells in your life of many other things, other frustrations, other struggles, other obstacles, other burdens that are out of your control. And if we're honest, we have to acknowledge that for some people, the storms and the obstacles are worse and scarier than they are for others, particularly when those burdens take the shape of racism and gun violence, and our neighbors are forced to struggle, to suffer underneath these evils that they did not create and cannot control. Now, as Christians, we are conditioned to want to get to the good stuff. We are good news people. We are resurrection and reconciliation people. And so we are always ready to see how we can figure out to come to that place where we can all sit and eat and see each other and pray and give thanks and live in peace. But the truth is, the truth is that just like my little guy all those years ago, and just like Jesus, who had work to do, a mission, and battles to fight before the meal, we can't just go right to that. I had to hear this little guy. I had to help him. I couldn't just toss him a donut while he was still crying and heaving and aching and say, here you go, and walk away and expect him to get back in the pool in a couple of minutes. Likewise, Jesus couldn't just come and tell us who he was and have everything be easy and perfect and peaceful. There was work for him to do. There were miracles to perform, people to love, pain to go through. He needed to level the playing field as well, to pull in the outcast, to make room at the table for the people who had been cast out and left behind. And so likewise, we too can't just go right to the meal. We can't just go right to the fix. We can't skip the stories. We can't skip the work. We can't skip the part where we try to right the wrongs. There are too many things we have to do first before we can get to that meal. It involves the work of listening, of relationship building, and of undoing burdens. The work of building justice and of stopping this continual cycle that we hear in the news over and over and over again. Before we can get to the peace, and before we can eat together in peace and comfort, knowing that we're having that moment with Jesus, we have to do the work collectively. 
And we have to look at what truly actually is within our control. Jesus asks us to do what he did among the disciples, to build beloved community, which by the way, isn't perfect. It doesn't mean that we get it right all the time and everything is peaceful and wonderful all the time. The disciples, as we know, still managed to get quite a few things wrong both before and after the resurrection. But what it does mean is that they stick together because they've done the work to be in relationship. They make room for each other. They honor each other. They include each other despite all the differences between them. And believe me, there were a great many differences. And the more the Jesus movement grew, the more there were differences between his followers. But what we see over and over again in the book of Acts, what we heard a little bit about last Sunday is that their burdens then were collective, faced together as a people, as a community. They were in it together. And so if we are his disciples now, who are meant to be building beloved community, then it should be jarring to us. It should be unacceptable to us that people are still allowed to fire guns in schools and grocery stores and movie theaters and FedEx locations. It should be painful to us to watch again and again as our black and brown neighbors suffer. It should be appalling and it should anger us to see that these lives are valued so much less than the lives of people who look like me. If we respect the dignity of every human being as we promised in our baptismal covenant, then seeing that we are all still losing this struggle together, understanding that we are in it collectively and that if it happens to one, it happens to all of us, this should upset us. It should cause us pain. Now, knowing the heart's infinite capacity for love, knowing that God created each one of us in the image of the divine, knowing that goodness lives within you, I have to believe that if this reality doesn't cause us pain, it's because we haven't really looked, because the world has somehow desensitized us to what's happening. That we haven't taken the time, maybe, to see and to understand that this is the suffering of God's people. That the death and dying of our neighbors is precisely what Jesus was trying to show us not to do, how to avoid, when he died on the cross. The promise of the Easter season is that Jesus is alive and that he is going to keep reappearing. And that because he lives, so will we. And because we will live, the meal with Jesus that we see in this gospel text and in many others, that meal is always coming to us. There's nothing we can do to be uninvited. There is abundant, abundant life in every meal with Jesus. And yet, there is also abundant responsibility. And for us, that should call us to a place where we realize we need to build justice and peace. And that as we do that, Jesus will always be in the middle of it. But we can't just jump to the meal. We can't just jump to peace, expecting that we can smooth things over. Then we miss that. We miss what really happened. We miss the work. We miss the bonding. We miss the relationship building. We miss who we've been called to be in light of the cross. When we look at Jesus, we have to understand all of the things that came before this moment when he asks if there is something to eat. Jesus had to give of himself 
to literally struggle against evil, to fight for life and to win over death. And this is what he calls us to do too, his disciples living in the world now, to choose life, not just for ourselves, but for all of our neighbors, for all of God's beloved children, and to insist that life is more important, more powerful, more abundant than death. We have to get into the habit of going with someone out to the far chairs to confess ourselves, sometimes to hear confessions, to tell stories and to listen to stories, and to be changed by what we hear, to love and to be willing to be brokenhearted, to stand in the breach. That's the only way we can ever repair it, is if we're willing to be in the middle of it to be brokenhearted by the obstacles and injustices that our neighbors face, by the burdens they did not create, and yet are tied to them so tightly. And then for some of us like me to realize, just like I did on the way back to the pool deck, that I had the power and the authority to do something more than just listen, but to make changes, to level the playing field, to find a way to make sure that all of God's people are welcome and safe and as whole as anyone can be in this life. Our salvation, our peace, our wholeness is tied up in this meal and the meal that we will celebrate in a few minutes that reminds us always of that abundant life and abundant responsibility. It's a meal that we share and that we long to share together in person again it should remind us of our responsibility to each other, of this moment in the gospel even where Jesus appears and, and his work is done and the storm has passed and the crying is over and the wrongs have been righted. And yet here he is preparing the disciples to go and do their work. This meal can only come to us when we understand that our burdens are collective. Our struggle is together. Our life is bound up in each other. And we haven't yet made the sacrifices that will give us the right to ask, have you anything to eat? Amen.